From the PSI Mobile Studios in Boulder, Colorado, I'm George Thomas. You're listening to First Chair. Very interesting and necessary discussion going on today with Zoe Mavis joining us from Big Sky, Montana, and crikey, Pete Allison is joining us from the UK. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Pleasure is all mine, George. It's always good to talk to you. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to be here. So the topic came up, uh, Zoe, when you and I were having a discussion of, is it possible to make a living as a full-time instructor? And uh, we thought, you know, we've got a lot to say here, and we really need to bring in Pete, because uh, he's doing so much to, to really help us make that happen, I think. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um and just for like kind of the blanket statement of my generation that's kind of coming up through PSAA and and moving, you know, into ed staff and some of the leadership roles, you know, we love what we do and we um, we want to make a career out of this. And also, you know, looking for those to come after, I want it to be a viable thing that someone can look at, um, not just as the, you know, fun after college job, not just the something to do after retiring, but as a viable option um, to do as a career. And I think with what we're doing with Penn State and creating um, a curriculum and creating a degree, it's just gonna add that extra piece of validity um, that you know I think sometimes we're seeking as professional ski instructors. And Pete, did this have any uh, anything to do with you bringing this to Penn State and, and making uh, a degree available to us really to help us with credibility and building our profession? Um, well, crikey, George, that's a big question there. Um, I guess I, I suppose my, I would love to be able to say, yes, I had a plan and I had a vision. Um, I, I think I'd be lying if I said that. My, my, um, I suppose well, I'm motivated by ideas and about trying to make sense of the world and 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 um, and and I became interested maybe ten or so years ago by um, by snow sports in particular and about thirty some years ago by just teaching outdoors as something that I found interesting. And and I think I was just interested, I became interested because, um, because I believe in the power of learning outdoors um, and also because I was trying to make sense of what is it that high quality teaching looks like outdoors? Um, because I'd been on the receiving end of that and I spent many years trying to do it well uh, I won't say doing it well, but I've been trying to do it well uh, over a number of years. And I'm always um, in awe of people who I watch and think, wow, you're really doing a great job of that. That is really hitting the spot. You can, and you can just tell when you see it, when you see it going well, it's, it's just incredible. Um, and so I think there's kind of a um, if, you, if you like, I'm interested in those crikey moments or maximizing the number of um, crikey moments that you can have within um, an hour, 
or within you know a, a, a lesson, however long that is, um, that that really intrigues me, and and making sense of that is something that I, that I'm interested in. The the idea that that um, yeah, so I suppose I suppose I'm, I'm kind of waffling a, a little bit here, but I'm thinking about um, how you how how can we recognize those skills that are involved in teaching outdoors in such a way that they can be recognized and and that recognition is beyond um the context but we can think about those as transferable skills um that, that can be used in a whole range of different contexts well we love that you're doing this and that it's going to be available for us uh, hopefully fairly soon I mean, Zoe, I actually left graduate school. I was working on a degree in communications and wanted to run a radio station. And my goal was to be in radio and teaching skiing. And now 30 years later, I'm actually doing it. <laughs> but I left graduate school to teach over the Christmas holidays and stayed on full time and then started coaching uh, racing in the summer up on Mount Hood. And this just developed into my full time job. And so 34 years in the industry, and I want to hear from both of you, I still get, when are you going to get a real job? Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting thing, and um, George, the unique uh, connection that you and I have is, and we talked about this uh, previously, is my mom actually worked at Eldora this winter. Um, at your mountain and it was she's a career nurse and she retired and was looking for something to do and so she started working for George and I have the most supportive mom in the world and she's amazing and she's always um, excited to hear about what I do with PSA and here at Big Sky um, however it wasn't until she started training at Eldora and started teaching there that she kind of got the grasp of what all I've done and worked towards and what being an examiner means, what being a trainer means, what being, you know, having long-term clientele means. And it was very interesting to even have that conversation with her, someone who fully supports what I do, someone who's 100% behind what I do and wants me to succeed at it, but even still didn't have the awareness of the depth that we go to, to, to reach the level that we're at. And so that was a really, I mean, it was a, an amazing moment to have with her. Um, and it's interesting because I think that that can happen with a lot of people. I think there's a lot of misconceptions about the effort and the expertise involved in, in what we do when we're at the, the height of our, um, height of our profession. Now I love Zoe's mom. She is amazing. She actually was our rookie of the year. One of our, our co-rookie of the year. Um, but we're having trainings every uh, Wednesday where we've got a children's study group and um, Zoe's mom was on it and I hope she doesn't just hate me for bringing this up but uh, I raved when I heard she was Zoe Mavis's mom I was like oh my gosh <laughs> because Zoe is amazing and I always speak very highly of her um, and after Zoe left the call Zoe had joined us to um, you know, tell us more about a, an assessment situation because she's a, on Ed staff. And um, after Zoe left the call, uh, her mom said, oh my gosh, I mean, you're always telling me what an amazing daughter I have. 
And now after spending an hour training with her, I see what you're talking about. She is really good. <laughs> so yeah, and I mean, you've been doing this how long, Zoe? Um, 11 years full time. And Pete, what's your background? So, um, well, as listeners might be able to tell, I'm not originally from Pennsylvania. <laughs> it's not my it's not my home state, let's say. Um, so you didn't pick so, up the word crikey in Pennsylvania. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, um, well, my back my background is that I um, I started I didn't start skiing until I was nineteen. Um, and then um, I w I've always been involved in outdoor education over a number of years and I've, I've worked on and off in, in snow sports and um, the last kind of 20 years I've um, been working much more with snow sports uh, in various ways whether that has been um, teaching and working in the Alps with various student groups um, or whether that be um, working with uh, various uh, European organizations in snow sports um, and, and and I think that's you know again that's that's really where that intrigue has, has come to me about what is it that makes people really good at this and I think that you know I, I think snow sports gets a bit of a rough deal um, in the picture of things because people think that teaching snow sports is easy all you've got to do is wear some mirror sunglasses you've got to have a big cheesy smile and um you know you've got to say follow me you know and, and that's it well we know it's a whole lot more complicated than that to do it well um but you know of course it helps if you've got you know a really sexy french or italian um accent to go with that too um you know that really really does it in the alps for most people but um <clears throat> you know the idea of um teaching snow sports well it is not a simple question or a problem to solve and the idea of how you you know i think there are a whole lot of cultural things around that too um and and there are a whole lot of economic things of course but you know if i think about how that works in um in the UK, uh, it's not that dissimilar to the US, where people say, oh, all right, you're a ski instructor. Oh, yeah, that sounds good. When are you going to get that real job, etc., etc.? You can kind of, you know, we, we, I think most of us have heard that kind of storyline. But, you know, if you go to, um, if you go to the Alps or, or to the Pyrenees, um, there's a, a lot more of a career involved in snow sports. Um, so it's it's not uncommon to see um, in France or in Italy or in Austria generations of parents and children who have been snow sports educators um, and that has been what they've done throughout their whole career that is their job um, you know they retire from teaching snow sports um, and and the idea of um, well what's your what's your proper job is not a question in those cultures. Um, now, some of that, of course, is about climate, but I, I think there are other more um, more nuanced things involved. I'm not I'm not entirely sure I know what the answers are, but I think there are questions there. 
And that, I don't really look at us having a lot of answers in today's discussion, but I think this is a topic that we really need to talk about. So Pete, are you saying I'd have more credibility if I Frenchified my name and added an S to the end and became Georges rather than George? <laughs> Giorgio, I think that. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I can't imagine you having any more credibility than you've already got, George, so, you know. <laughs> well, so Zoe, let's, you're at Big Sky, uh, Destination Resort. And again, I, I think about where we can make a full-time make this a full-time job where we can make a living um, because a huge part of that really is us building a client base isn't it yeah i mean if you want to talk about actually being a full-time ski instructor i mean we can we can talk about making a career in the snow sports industry but that usually goes along the lines of management um you know some something like that administration but if you're talking about like full-time work as an instructor on snow, um, it's a challenging thing. I mean, you definitely need to have full-time clients. You know, you need to fill your schedule and that's something you're responsible for yourself, right? You build your own clientele and you fill that schedule because that's what that's where you're making the money is like those private requests. I mean, that's any mountain, whatever the pace scale and structure is any mountain you're making that money off of the private requests and if you really want to do it you have to fill every day and you can't say no right if someone wants to request you for a day off you're not saying no to that at all and um it's wonderful because you build connections with families and you get to know people and and really become part of their lives um as i say that i'm uh, actually nannying for uh, one of my clients this this summer so with the two girls and so you know there's those connections that you get to make which are just so wonderful and um life-changing and i think most instructors experience that and really that's a big big part of why we love it um but once again it's you know it's i really if i had to tell you how many people i personally know who are truly full-time ski instructors in the winter um, as their sole career? Probably not, uh, probably not many. Um, and I think we're moving in the direction where we could potentially go there. Um, and I think there are some of those des these destination resorts where um, you can move to and start building a client base and get to a position where you could probably um, get by for on what you make, but I wouldn't say it's the same as Europe, right? Obviously they have a deeper culture in the sport and in the career. And so I think it'd be great to see us as an association and just us as a sport here in the US to keep moving down that path of adding validity and really um, embracing that professional side of what we do um so that we're we're seen uh, as more than just you know a ski bump <laughs> well i really like what you're saying about you've got to have a really full schedule and you do not refuse a lesson uh mentor i love this guy stephen henrickson uh he said george you got four months to make it you have got to really work hard and i'd come in and had a lot of requests and everything and He'd just look at me and go, keep making me money. 
And uh, I really, I took a lot of what he taught me to heart and it really got me to where I, I mean, those four months of ski instruction were not relaxing or uh, I loved it, but man, I worked hard. And how about, you know, oh, I've got my level three. I don't teach beginners. You never refuse a lesson, do you? <laughs> never, absolutely not. And honestly, it's, I think for those of us who are in it for the long run and really love what we do and want to make it a real career, see that beginner as an awesome opportunity. That's someone that you could be for their whole skiing career, you know, start them on the magic carpets and get them up to the peak one day you know like that's the that's the I think the goal um because you know that's that's the pr progress you want to make with clients because that's how you make those deeper connections and then yeah continue to have clients right so we want we want people to come back and ski with us so Pete as part of your uh degree do you have backlining you know how to hide during lineup <laughs> Crikey, George, you'd never catch me trying to hide in the, you know, although my family would say that sounds exactly like Pete, you know, avoiding work, slackadamic, you know, they, they still ask me when I'm going to get a real job, I'm like, come on folks, you know, <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I think, I mean, there's so much about this that's, that's really interesting, you know, I think if, um, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I don't have a business bone in my body, but I, I do know that any anybody who tries to set up a business that works on a month or four months of income out of the year is setting themselves up for a big challenge right and because of the climate that's what we're talking about a lot of the time four or five months of, of income time which is a is a big um in, in i think that's a that's a big challenge so what do you do well you know, for some time at least, you can bounce back and forth between the, the hemispheres and, and do things that way, or you can teach on glaciers or glaciers, as you might call them. Um, you know, but it kind of, there, there are ways in which we can extend the opportunities for, um, for employment. But um, I think the to me, part of the cultural interest in this is around why take lessons, and that in in some cultures it seems to be more the norm that you take a lesson, and in others it isn't. You know, so you know, paying for a paying for a lesson for some cultures seems to be a, a an acceptable thing to do. In other cultures, people just Put the skis on, go to the top of the hill, point them downhill, and go yippee, um, and don't even think of taking a lesson. <laughs> um, that I, I'm not sure what that says culturally, but um, I think Zoe's absolutely spot on that that idea of if you're a level three, you actually might be fighting to take beginner lessons, which is antithetical to a lot of what I see happening you know our beginner lessons that's for level ones well actually if we want to nurture people into the sport um, presumably level threes might be 
we might argue, uh, you know, and I think there are arguments that go all ways with this, but we might argue that level threes are the people who should really be putting beginners because they can absolutely wow them, show them those crikey moments and give them this um, out of this world experience that brings them back. So, and, and maybe the second, third times back, maybe that's where they might be taught by level twos or level ones and, and they're kind of the hook then, we've got, we've got them into the system. And it, I'm kind of, again, you know, I'm interested in the ideas and kind of bouncing these conversations around. Well, I'd like to have a whole first chair series really on how to build a client base. I mean, that's a real skill. And what is it that makes that person special who, you know, there are things we can do, but people want to come back to see certain instructors for a reason. And we want to find out what those are. And, um, right. and, and, and Zoe, Zoe's doing it right now, right? So Zoe is, you know, people can't see because this is a podcast. Well, yeah, but. Try, try to at least, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I think, I think that's a valid point, George, is we focus so much, I mean, especially, you know, in my experience as an examiner, and as a trainer, there's so much focus on how we ski, how we teach, and those sort of things, which is very important, and that's mostly what we assess on. Um, but also, I agree with you, like these tactics for building a client base, for getting people to request you, and getting them to remember your name, and just all these, and kind of marketing yourself, um, which is really important, and making those connections. The cool thing is now that we're we have a more comprehensive view of um, what creates a, a great instructor, right? Those teaching uh, people and uh, uh, technical skills, right? So the people skills, and that's something we haven't focused on as much in the past, but now that we're bringing that into it, I think that's a huge part of that, that building the client base is how do you connect with different people and get them to want to come back and want to ski with you. Um, and that's a, it's a big part of it. But also, I think we could focus more, um, not only on that, you know, those, those connections, but also just little things like, do you have a business card? You know, like, how do you, you know, do you, do you send people like a Christmas card to remind them of your name? Just like some of those little things that people don't know about that are really helpful for deepening those connections and marketing yourself a bit. And I think we maybe at times do a little bit of a disservice to our newer instructors by not sharing some of those, those tips and tricks with them. I love sending video clips to uh, people in the summer from the previous winter, rather than, you know, right after their lesson, I'll save some footage and then hop on final cut put it together and then you send out this short little video of them skiing and say, you know, God, I had a great time. Hope I see you this winter. So um, any last thoughts from either of you? Again, I, as I said, I, I know we wouldn't answer this question, but again, I really feel like this is a discussion we need to have. And um, I think there are a lot more discussions to come from this. Zoe? <laughs> Um, absolutely. I mean, cranky, there's a lot of things we could do here, but, uh, realistically, I think, um, it's, it's a lot about conversation, right? We, I think perception is, is a big thing and, um, a big part is how do we perceive ourselves, right? So 
Um, I think it's, a, there's, you know, kind of that self-talk as well as um, if you're working towards being a professional ski instructor and, and want to, to do it full time and, and be that true professional, refer to yourself that way, you know, feel like, don't make those disparaging comments. They're like, Oh yeah, well I'm ski bum, yada, yada. Like if you truly believe it's what you want to do, then give yourself the credit for it. Right. Say, yeah, I'm a professional. I've worked to get where I am. Like I've built up this clientele. I've done these certifications. Like I've, I've worked to get where I am. And I think that's a big part of it too, is it's really easy just to fall into that. Like, Oh yeah, just doing it for fun, yada, yada. But if you're not, say that if it's your if it's your true passion and your goal and career and what you want to do talk about that because i think the more we talk about that and refer to ourselves as true professionals the more people will hear that and and think the same you know we've been having a lot of fun with pete's word uh crikey pete i don't know how you're going to follow that up (laughs) well i'm just going to say what she said i mean i think zoe nailed it you know that We've got, to, we've got to take this seriously. These are transferable skills, and um, you know, the more in which we conduct ourselves in the way in which we want to be seen and understood by others, by colleagues, by society, by clients, etc., then um, the the more that's going to happen. So, you know, I think uh, I'm in total agreement with you, with you, Zoe. I think there. Um, it, part, part of the challenge is this articulation, and I think that's one of the reasons why I'm so excited about the work that um, PSIA and ASI have been doing on the national standards, because a lot of that is about placing these skills, because they are skills, they're trainable, around teaching and people skills as being central and what binds us all together. And I think that, uh, I really think that's of crucial importance and if listeners haven't seen or read um, any of the information in 32 degrees on the PSI website around the new standards um, that have just been um, approved by the board for Alpine and Snowboard and other ones coming fast um, on, on the back of that then I would encourage them to read those because I think the those interpretations of the learning connection model are um, really progressive and, and really um, put PSIA and ASI at the forefront globally in snow sports education and nationally across outdoor education as really prioritizing and valuing what is important. Well, Pete Allison, Zoe Mavis, thank you so much for chatting with us and I uh, look forward to many more of these discussions with you. Absolutely, thank you, George. Thanks, George. I got to apologize for that phone ringing. I'm in an office on the mobile studios, and uh, sorry about that. But thank you so much for listening to First Chair. From Boulder, Colorado, I'm George Thomas.